you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Morning, church. If you're following along, um, again, it's John chapter 12, 17 to 26. If you're following along, and you should. From the scripture that was read, verse 17 and 18 focus our attention on the Passover pilgrims outside Judea and the locals, and also the religious leaders. Verse verse 17 tells us that those in the crowd who were present when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness of what they saw. They were eyewitnesses testifying to the one who did the miracle and the recipient of the miracle. Now Jesus not wanting, as you follow along in his ministry, Jesus not wanting to escalate any tension during his ministry, it wouldn't be so any longer. Because the news are amplifying people's curiosity. Verse 18 gives us the reason why the crowds want to meet Jesus? For they heard he called a dead man out of the tomb. They were most likely proselytes to Judaism or probably God-fearers who were only allowed to go to Jerusalem and be in the temple court. They couldn't go further. They were restricted. Now verse 19 The Pharisees took notice and said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The judicial body were confused by observing what was going on. Jesus is gaining popularity. The frustration continues to build. It seems to them that these events are spurring, getting out of control, and becoming very dangerous for the well-being under the Roman rule. The way they access the situation is that if Jesus led this crowd in an armed revolt against the Romans, all would be lost. Kaput, they're finished. Now confronted with Jesus' incredibility and his incredible popularity, in spite of their best efforts to silence him, they began to blame each other. That's how confusion works when truth is absent. That's how confusion works when you don't want to accept truth, even when truth is before your eyes. Many people 
live a life in denial. These people have a problem with truth. And you're going to find that in our society. People do have a problem with the truth. Especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. Now, this continued to escalate even after Jesus' ascension. As the disciples were empowered to preach the gospel, they were encountering opposition from the religious leaders. And as the religious leaders met at their council to discuss the situation they were facing, they were warned and advised by one of their reputable leaders and rabbi, Rabbi Gamil, in Acts 5, 39 And this is what he said to them in their council meeting. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. In other words, kicking against the goads. Useless to fight against God. Fighting against God is not a good idea for anyone. Maybe it's appropriate at this time, this morning, to ask ourselves, what are you fighting against God with that He may be convicting you about? Maybe it's time to resolve those matters with God. We learn from verse 16 that Jesus' disciples was not clear to what was going on. And this is not the first time. Jesus did call him out in his ministry that they're foolish not to understand. They're slow to understand. They did not pick up what was happening. was in exact fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy that their king will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They didn't pick it up. On the other hand, the pilgrims picked up on Zechariah's prophecy by ushering Jesus as their king, but in hindsight, superficial in nature, as we'll see. Their desire was that Jesus would accept the role of being their political leader and military deliverer they expected in the coming of their Messiah. Now normally, a military leader comes riding on a military horse or in a chariot. But here their king is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. Oppressions are very common in our world. And who wouldn't want to be rescued and to be free from oppression? Jesus tells in the previous chapters, in 6, 14 to 15, after people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to, a, to the mountain by himself. No wonder, now having a chance, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he come, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. 
They did not realize the young colt in the prophecy symbolizes peace. They just want their desire to be filled. And nothing wrong with that. We all have desires. But it all depends where the desires are leading you. The probably reason that since he was doing all these miracles, giving sight to the blind, healing the leper, the lame is walking, raising a dead man out of the tomb after four days, he can surely use his power to free them from the, from the yoke of Roman oppression. That's fair to desire for your thing. But by the end of the week, when it became obvious that Jesus was not going to follow through to be their political Messiah and deliver the expected, they jumped ship and followed the lead of the hostile antagonist and culpable Pharisees in rejecting him. They jumped ship. Many of the same voices that shouted Hosanna at the triumphal entry now will shout crucify him on that coming Friday. What they were hoping for was superficial in nature. Church, the gospel is not for sale. The gospel is a serious spiritual business. There are many through the years who profess faith in Christ, but when they do not get their problems fixed or their desires met, they fold and bail out. Gone. Their faith was only superficial in nature. In contrast to the superficial crowd, Jesus' true disciples persevere in believing in him, even though they did not understand all that was going on until Jesus was glorified in his death, resurrection, and ascension at the right hand of the Father. Now the crowd's curiosity continues to amplify, and they sought out Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Probably that was nearby from the tongue where they came from. Probably they could identify with him from his Greek name, Philip. And verse 20 to 22 reads, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. It is not recorded whether Jesus spoke to them or not. But upon receiving the request, Jesus' answer was not relevant to their request. However, now confronted with this request, triggered the Lord's declaration. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Son of Man is a messianic title and one that has everlasting glory 
in Daniel 7. The hour has come. Firstly, it's imminent and in contrast to what he said before, not wanting people to know or to tell anyone when they were healed. Secondly, as Israel's officials keeps on rejecting God's offer of Jesus the Messiah and his ministry, Jesus commanded his disciples in Luke 24, 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's where it's going now. The shifts start to happen here when he made the declaration. The blessing of salvation was never meant to be limited exclusively to Israel and that nation. It has to go out. The Lord said to Abraham, The families of the earth shall be blessed. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The gospel is about to expand to the whole world. The universal emphasis of John's gospel throughout is too obvious to miss. The gospel has to go out. Jesus will bring other sheep who are outside the Jewish fold. I have other sheep, he said. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He said it. The gospel was offered to the Jews first. But now God clearly commanded that the gospel be preached to the whole world. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercies. In their ministry, Paul and Barnabas declared after the hostile Jews in Antioch, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. There it goes. It's not a good idea to keep rejecting. It's not wise. In the new covenant, it took a vision of unclean things from God to convince Peter to preach to the Gentiles in Acts 10 regarding Cornelius' household. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come implies as long as I'm teaching the deep and the wonderful things, as long as I'm doing astonishing miracles of healing the blind, the sick and the lame, feeling the multitude, even raising the dead, I will only be sur surrounded by a fan club. But souls will not be saved. Souls will not be transferred. I'll just be a celebrity. That is not why Jesus came. Unless I voluntarily die, only then all blessings and that God promised will come true. From the forgiveness of sins, power over sins, access to the Father's throne, triumph over death, and joyful confidence for the future, none of these will be accomplished unless Jesus goes to the cross. 
to illustrate his hour has come to be glorified, he uses the agricultural illustration that the people would understand, demonstrating the blessing to follow in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A voluntary, deliberate sacrifice had to be made to accomplish all of God's promises and the purposes He has for His broken people living in a broken world. Jesus saw beyond the cross to the glory that will follow. Jesus used the image of the grain to illustrate the great spiritual truth that there can be no glory without suffering. There can be no glory, no fruitful life without death. There can be no victory without surrender. And that's what he's about to do. The Son of Man will be glorified. Not by conquering the Romans and immediately establishing his kingdom as the crowd desired and so eagerly anticipated, but by dying willfully. That's where he's going. He's not following the crowd. He doesn't want a fan club. He didn't come here to be a celebrity. If he won that, he could have it. But he comes to do the Father's will. No one takes it from me, for I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. So when the Pharisees are planning what to do, they're just wasting their time. Jesus knows what they're going to do, and he knows what's going to happen after. You're not going to take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down. And I'll take it all back. That's what the authority I receive from my father. The Lord's point is that he will be glorified through his death, resurrection, and ascension. That is the only way his glorious kingdom will be realized in its fullness with all of this blessing to the recipients who will put their trust and faith in him. Jesus knew that after his ascension, the gospel will spread far beyond the borders of Israel to all nations in the world. The Greeks wanted to see him. Yes, we live in a celebrity, celebrity culture. But Jesus is not interested in being a celebrity. His interest is in saving souls. He knew that the way, the truth, and the life is through him. Only and only through him. Just as a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies to produce a rich harvest, so also Christ's death will bear much fruit by providing salvation for many from every tribe, language, and nations. It all came together in Revelation 5.9. That's what the vision shows us. 
Jesus said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's why you're here today. You are proof. Isaiah 49, 4 tells the Messiah, he says, I will make you a light. I will make you, that's Jesus, a light for the Gentiles, which my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. No wonder Jesus uh, gave the great commission to his disciples and to Christians. Going to the earth. Preach the gospel. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go. And I will be with you. Until the end. Believers, you are the living proof bringing glory to Jesus. Exactly as what he said. The fruit would include countless people like these Greeks, Gentiles, who desire to meet with him, will indeed meet Jesus in their hearts. He will change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That's the business Jesus is in. And verse 25 deals with some lifestyle. Confronted with God's offer through Jesus Christ, what will be the decision of people's heart? That's the question now. Whoever loves his life will lose it, he said. Firstly, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The one who loves his life in this world by preferring worldly interests over the interests of his or her soul ultimately will lose it to eternal damnation. Your soul is not something you play around with. Soul will never die. It will be somewhere. It's either hell or heaven. But your soul will never die. The lifestyle of each individual is called into attention. John named some errors pertaining to the worldly lifestyle. It reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. He said it. He explained. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Confirmation. You're not a loser when you follow Jesus. No matter what the world might tell you, you're not a loser. You might be laughed at, but you're not a loser. Who laughed last, laughed best. And Galatians also said, I have been crucified with Christ. This is how we ought to be. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. People might not love you. Maybe there's some reasons, but anyway. But God loves you. God loves you. Many people think that the most important things in life are just the physical and the material. Material possessions, status, and pleasure, people go after in this world. God is not a killjoy God. He wants us to enjoy life. But we must be careful what we are running after. We have to be careful. By loving self in those ways and failing to realize that the soul is more important, neglecting its welfare will end up in eternal disaster. God did not leave heaven and come to earth, veil himself in flesh, go on the cross, spit on, beaten for nothing. If not, you would have stayed right there. But he came for a reason. He came to die for you and me. He came to bring those souls to him in eternity. To love one's life here and now, to concentrate on one's own success only now, is to lose what matters the most in eternal life. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What are you running after today in the world? Put the brake on. The amber light is showing. Step on the brake. Make a turn. The principle is seen at the cross. Love for God must be such that all other love by comparison less. That is why Jesus says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wants his will to be done in each one of our lives. Not only our desires and our will, his will. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The word hate has a connotation of preferring Christ over the worldly desires of the flesh and the appetites that the world offers. And Jesus challenges us to surrender our lives to him. In verse 26, it reads, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. You cannot serve Jesus if you're not willing to follow him. It's simple as that. That's what he said. Serving Christ requires a surrendered life. If you're not willing to surrender your life to follow Christ, things won't work. 
you'll hit the stop sign always. There's no green. The one who serves Jesus must follow him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. We're not perfect people, but God wants to see that we're making efforts. You're going to slip and fall, but God wants to see those efforts. He doesn't want excuses. How did Jesus walk? Not running after the things the world offers. The devil has a lot to offer. Pertaining to the things of this world. He offered Jesus many things. Even status. And Jesus rejected them all. If Jesus is our Lord, we must likewise follow and do the same. Reject the things of the world that will destroy us and keep us away from a relationship and fellowship with God. That's what those things do. Serving and following Jesus is not only affection, but it's direction. What direction are we going? Everybody gets happy talking about Jesus at times, have affection for the things he does. But Jesus wants us to go in his direction. So it boils down to this. Serving self or serving Christ. Following the world or following Christ. Honoring self or receiving God's honor. And verse 26 again continues. Where I am, there my servant be also. Those who follow Jesus, Jesus made two ultimate and glorious promises. First, where he is, there his servants will be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Promise. And he followed up with John 17 in his high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To what? To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I tell you something. As God loved Jesus and Jesus loved you, you are loved by God. And whatever is promised to Jesus, you will receive the same promise. It's all in the package with Jesus. The one who serves Jesus, the Father will honor them. It continues. The believers will be in a state of great splendor. It's comprehensive. It's large in scope. A state of absolute joy. And happiness for all eternity. 
You're not a loser when you follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, you must serve him. And to serve him, you must follow him. Here is an encouragement for believers. And I mentioned it before. As believers, you are fruit of that grain that Jesus spoke about. That went into the ground and fell and died. And he also, Jesus also in his ministry gave us some how-to. How to bear fruit in serving and following him. He says, abide in me and I abide in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vein, in vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Connection. Tight connection. That's where the fellowship moved on to relationship. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Oh, Timmy, you observe, also you observe in the world, that the gospel keeps reaching out, bearing witness all over the world. The grain is being multiplied. It's happening. You are here today because of that. What about the unbelievers? If you're here today and you're watching online, what about if you're not a believer? You haven't given your faith to Jesus Christ. You haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. Like Jesus' disciples, you don't have to understand everything in the Bible. You just have to believe God's word and the things will fall into place as you seek him diligently. You don't have to understand everything. Just believe. When I became a believer, I didn't understand anything, everything. But you have to seek diligently. And if you have not yet confessed faith that Jesus is your Savior, I want to tell you that Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to save you. Trust Him. If you're here today and you're watching online, you haven't given Jesus your heart and your life, trust Him. Challenge Him. I've heard a lot of stories where people challenge Jesus. You challenge Jesus, he'll show up. Make sure you're ready to embrace him when he shows up. What about for the religious? Jesus was tackled by the religious people in his days. Religious people might be sincere. And morally upright to a level that society looks at as a standard. Yet, we all fall short regardless of our best efforts. Our efforts without Jesus are like filthy rags. Wouldn't cut it. Why? You have a sinner here, you have a holy God here. You're not getting there. 
unless you cross that bridge that Jesus provides. And that is the cross. Not going to get there. He's too holy. Jesus did what he had to do already on the cross in his death, resurrection, and ascension. Now God opens offers up to you in regards to where you will spend eternity, with God or without God. That's the choice each one of us have to make. The scripture calls attention that heaven is a wonderful place totally different from earth. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All things become new. He's not only saving your soul from eternal damnation, but he's taking you somewhere. Where we don't have to go through all that we face on earth. The death, the pain, the sickness, the illness, and all that goes on. That's his promise. That's how God will honor you. As you attach to Jesus Christ. And I close with this. As I mentioned before, in Jesus' prayer for those who belong to him, this is what he said. And it's good to keep this in our mind. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. Not when I came to earth, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Amen? What a promise. Where, how can you lose with that? Father in heaven, thank you, O Lord. Thank you for your love, for saving us. Thank you for saving our Lord Jesus Christ and the promise you have for us in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.